This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Ukraine and Russia blamed each other for the shelling of a prison which killed 53 Ukrainian prisoners of war. Ukraine said Russia had launched the attack to cover up evidence of Russian war crimes against imprisoned Ukrainians and that claims to the contrary were part of Moscow's, quote, information war. Russia said Ukraine had used American-supplied rockets against the prison, which is located in a Russian-controlled separatist region of Ukraine. The top diplomats from America and Russia discussed the potential for a prisoner swap and safe passage for Ukrainian grain in their first call since the invasion began. Antony Blinken said he pressed Sergei Lavrov to release Brittany Griner, a women's basketball star, and Paul Whelan, a former Marine. The Kremlin would prefer to negotiate prisoner exchanges using, quote, quiet diplomacy, according to a statement from Russia's foreign ministry. Inflation in the eurozone rose to a record high 8.9 percent, stoked by the economic fallout from Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The new numbers may spur the European Central Bank to hike interest rates again. Last week, the bank raised rates for the first time since 2011. Europe's biggest economy, Germany, reported stagnant GDP figures for the second quarter of 2022. It is set to be the worst economic performer among G7 nations this year. The Securities and Exchange Commission added Alibaba, a Chinese e-commerce giant, to its list of firms that could be jettisoned from American stock exchanges. Alibaba's share price fell at the news. China has refused to allow American inspectors to review audits of its listed companies. The row has prompted Chinese firms, including Alibaba, to seek primary listings in Hong Kong instead of New York. Belarus recalled its ambassador to Britain, accusing the British government of, quote, hostile and unfriendly actions. Belarus's foreign ministry said Britain had executed policies, quote, systematically aimed at causing maximum damage to Belarusian citizens and legal entities, such as sanctions on Belarusian companies. Relations have soured after Belarus's dictatorial ruler, Alexander Lukashenko, cracked down on opposition and cozied up to Russia. President Joe Biden issued a disaster declaration for the state of Kentucky, where flash floods killed at least 16 people and destroyed hundreds of homes. Andy Bashir, the state's governor, said the death toll would probably, quote, get a lot higher. Torrential rains battered towns this week across several states, including Missouri, Kentucky, and Tennessee. Viktor Orban, the prime minister of Hungary, said that he expects to reach a deal with Russia for additional gas supplies by the end of the summer. The country intends to buy an extra 700 million cubic meters of gas on top of the 4.5 billion it already receives. Mr. Orban has consistently opposed European sanctions of Russian gas as a response to Vladimir Putin's war in Ukraine. And word of the week. Champing. The Practice of Camping in Churches And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. The Cumbersome Course of Justice in Ethiopia The horrific civil war in Ethiopia has been plagued by war crimes since it began in 2020. 
Yet despite repeated promises from the warring parties, which include the government and Tigrayan rebels, barely any justice has been served. The United Nations is hoping to rectify this. Following a brief visit to the country, on Saturday a three-member commission will deliver a report on human rights violations during the conflict. A thorough investigation, let alone redress, is unlikely. The commission, which has been rejected by the Ethiopian government, is hamstrung. It lacks staff and resources. Investigators have been prevented from visiting Tigray, the site of many of the worst atrocities. For now, they are investigating only, quote, emblematic incidents, which mostly means massacres allegedly committed by rebels from the northern Tigray region, but includes the bombing of civilians by the Ethiopian Air Force. Meanwhile, the horrors continue. Last month, ethnic Oromo rebels allegedly massacred hundreds of civilians in western Ethiopia. A boom for Britain's energy producers Britain's energy industry has had a mixed year. Some 30 suppliers went bust. Bound to the country's energy price cap, they were forced to sell power cheaply even as a cold winter and war in Ukraine pushed wholesale prices to dizzying highs. But that helped other companies. In the first six months of 2022, Centrica, Britain's biggest energy firm, raked in £1.3 billion, or $1.58 billion, in operating profits, up from £262 million in the same period last year. On Thursday, bosses issued a dividend for the first time since 2020, even as soaring energy bills force some Britons to choose between heating and eating. BP, another energy giant, is also expected to post strong results on Tuesday. A new windfall tax on energy companies will redirect part of the bumper profits to consumers, but charities have warned that the complex logistics of the energy bill's support scheme may exclude poorer households. With winter gas shortages looming, an increasing number of people may struggle to keep the lights on. Clubbing Together for Ukraine Most people go to nightclubs to be carefree, raving to electronic beats amid the anonymity of a darkened dance floor. But on Saturday, party-goers visiting Zenner, a club in Berlin, will be dancing for a purpose. Closer, a famous techno institution in Kyiv, is hosting the first of two fundraising events for the war in Ukraine. It will feature Ukrainian and international artists and a room in the basement made to look like a bomb shelter. Maintaining international support for Ukraine's struggle is one way that the country's musicians are doing their bit. Back home, shattered nightclubs in cities such as Kiev and Dnipro have found new purpose as storages for food, medicine, and military supplies. Ukrainian techno has long been associated with politics and protest. The gritty, quote, schema raves were born out of the Maidan Revolution in 2014, the year Russia annexed Crimea. The Kremlin has sought to erase Ukraine's culture. That will be impossible, especially when it thrives underground. A Two-Faced Van Gogh Vincent Van Gogh was not recognized as a genius in his short lifetime. The Dutch painter was often hard up. To cut back on the costs of canvases, he sometimes painted on both their sides. That has led to a handful of his works, now extraordinarily valuable, emerging on the reverse side of other pieces. 
In July, the National Galleries of Scotland discovered the first such work in Britain when an image appeared from under layers of glue and cardboard on the back of the head of a peasant woman, painted in 1885. On Saturday, the world's newest Van Gogh will be shown to the public. Its subject, a familiar-looking bearded man in a brimmed hat, is an example of another penny-pinching measure. The artist would paint self-portraits to save on the cost of hiring models. Exposing the painting properly will require tricky conservation work. For now, visitors to the museum in Edinburgh will have to content themselves with a ghostly X-ray image. Weekend Profile Prague, India's Chess Superstar In February, Ramesh Babu Pragnananda, a 16-year-old Indian, became the youngest person to defeat Magnus Carlsen, a five-time world chess champion and giant of the game. Any victory over Mr. Carlsen is remarkable, but this was comprehensive, taking just 39 moves. Chess has a rich history of such precocious exploits. Mr. Carlsen himself was a teenage prodigy. But in India, a country starved of sporting success outside cricket, Prague, as he is commonly known, became an instant superstar. On Twitter, Narendra Modi, the Prime Minister, and Sachin Tendulkar, a celebrated former cricketer, gushed praise. Although young, Prague's stardom has been a while in the making. He started playing at the age of three when his father, a bank employee, introduced chess to the household to distract his sister from watching TV. By the age of eight, Prague began showing signs of genius, so his father enrolled him in a chess academy. Easy enough in Chennai, one of South India's biggest cities and a breeding ground for chess champions. Viswanathan Anand, India's best ever player, is also a Chennaiite. The head of the academy, Ramanathan Ramesh, a world-class player himself, was struck by his students' dedication. While his other charges struggled to watch the 10 videos he demanded of them each day, Prague would watch 30. In between hours-long practices of complex chess maneuvers, the pair would take a break by indulging in more childlike pursuits, playing hide-and-seek. The hard work paid off. At 10, Prague became the youngest ever international master, the second-highest title in chess. Two years later, he became the second-youngest player to secure the game's highest, Grand Master. In 2019, when barely 14, he became the world under-18 champion. This weekend, he will continue his chase for glory when he competes with 2,000 players, including Mr. Carlson, at the Chess Olympiad, which started on Thursday in Mahabalipuram, near Chennai. In his matches, he will sport what has become his trademark look, sacred ash on his forehead, dabbed there for good luck. He scarcely needs it. The winners of this week's quiz Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners chosen at random were Tetsuyuki Maruyama, Ito, Japan Quinn Lin, New York City, USA Antonio Lemos, Petropolis, Brazil Arne Tobias Odegaard, Bergen, Norway Christine Ryder, Tunis, Tunisia Warren Twohy, Auckland, New Zealand They all gave the correct answers of Flags, Mini Driver, Hitler's Bunker, Chippendale, and Eagle The theme is Golf, Flags, Driver, Bunker, Chip, and Eagle 
and visit the Espresso app for our new weekend crossword, designed for experienced cruciverbalists and newcomers alike. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Joyce Kilmer, who died on this day in 1918. I think that I shall never see a poem lovely as a tree. That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.